0: You just heard Midtown Radio's newest station ID, a land acknowledgement recognizing our community's place on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, Anishinaabe and Atawandaron neutral people. You can expect to hear this message regularly on Midtown Radio moving forward. Land acknowledgements are a small step towards reconciliation and introducing this acknowledgement is just one of the ways that we are observing the 24th annual National Indigenous Peoples Day, which is taking place today. June 21st. This special event is dedicated to recognizing and celebrating the unique heritage, diverse cultures, and outstanding contributions of First Nations, Inuit, and Métis peoples. Canada's Indigenous population is both numerous and diverse, with more than 1.6 million people identifying as Indigenous. There are dozens of Indigenous languages spoken in Canada. Cree, Inuktitut, Ojibwe, Dene, Mi'kmaq, Salish, just to name a few. These distinct languages and cultures are a vital part of the Canadian landscape and something to be celebrated throughout the year. In previous shows, we have shared with you stories and songs from Inuit, First Nations, and Métis artists, but this week we are sharing all Indigenous content, learning about a remarkable woman, and about the lasting legacy of the residential school system, and also exploring the feelings of welcoming a new life into the family. I'm Serena McDermott and this is Midtown Bookshelf. I'm Serena McDermott and I'm joined by Matt Rappel. Good morning. And Alison Diejack. Today, we celebrate National Indigenous Peoples Day by sharing songs and stories from some of Canada's Indigenous creators. Recognizing and celebrating Indigenous Peoples feels more pressing than ever as we continue to witness acts of discrimination, brutality, and oppression against our Indigenous brothers and sisters. This day is also a chance for us to refocus our attention on the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which published their final report in June 2015, five years ago. The Truth and Reconciliation Commission put forward 94 calls to action. CBC's Beyond 94 project has tracked the country's progress on these action items, and as of May, five years later, only 10 of 94 actions have been completed. Clearly, there is so much work still to be done. Matt and Allison, I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about what reconciliation means to you and ways that you're supporting reconciliation in your lives.
1: Well, I think that um, for reconciliation, the biggest part of it is just as a settler and as all non-Indigenous people, we need to listen to Indigenous people about what reconciliation means to them. I can make an example or make a link to a classroom context when, you know, if there's someone in a classroom who does something to hurt somebody else, we don't go and ask the person who hurt that person what they can do. You ask the person who was hurt. Um, what the the perpetrator can do to make them feel better. It's really important for us to listen to Indigenous people um, and the people who had crimes perpetrated against them, because we need to understand what they need for reconciliation, not what we think is going to make us feel better.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think that um, a lot of reconciliation has to do with, um, you know, making a relationship right again and. You know, we know that the relationship between indigenous and non-indigenous people is not right right now. There's a lot of history and also a lot of things happening in our current society that are not right and not fair towards indigenous people living in Canada. So it's just about, you know, finding ways to make things right again, and even if that means... Um, we have to step outside of our comfort zones, and even if it means that the government has to, you know, take some steps outside of what their normal course of action would be, I think that's how we need to make things right again. So I know that one thing that I do personally um, to try to support um, the calls to action of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission is I actually got um, got certified a few years ago to be um, a Kairos blanket exercise facilitator. Um, so it's a it's an experiential kind of learning tool where uh, children or adults can learn about the history of um, colonization in Canada and the relationship between Indigenous and non-Indigenous people. And so it's an activity that I've been able to bring to in different school groups with, you know, grade seven and eight students. I've led it with uh, some teachers as part of a staff meeting, also doing some training for summer camp staff. Uh, I've also ran it with some church congregations. So that's been something that's been really um, enjoyable for me, just to be able to educate the communities around me and open their eyes to some of the things that are happening in our country.
1: Yeah, Alison, I mean, I've led a couple of those exercises with you, and it's always a really powerful experience to see people who don't necessarily know about that aspect of Canadian history for them to learn about it for the first time. And I mean, it's an incredibly powerful exercise. I recommend any of our listeners, if you have the chance to do it, I strongly recommend it because you'll see a, a side of Canadian history that up until recently was not really talked about very frequently. I mean, another thing that I've tried to do in order to bring reconciliation into my practice and to my profession, is just to make sure that the materials and the voices that are in my classroom are representative uh, of Indigenous people and all different types of voices from the Canadian landscape. Um, so, for example, whether that's bringing picture books like we're doing here today or bringing guest speakers, it's really important that there is an Indigenous, an authentic Indigenous voice in your classroom to tell those stories.
0: Those are excellent examples. Thank you both for sharing. Uh, We're going to jump into our first song now. We have a really powerful cover song today. This song comes from April Martell. She's a First Nations woman from Nova Scotia and just on her own personal YouTube channel, she rewrote the lyrics to Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire to focus on issues and events that are affecting Indigenous people. She invites listeners to really consider the lyrics. And if there's a lyric that you don't know about in the song, take the time and investigate and learn about it. Uh, April Martell was very gracious in allowing us to play this song on air today. So here it is for you. April Martell's cover of We Didn't Start the Fire. Mm
3: but bushy Barbara Kenner Chantelle dyed her baby girl red dress Canada is in a to disclo- school It was always burning since the world's been turning. We didn't start the fire. No, we didn't light it, but we tried to fight it. We didn't start the fire. It was always burning. Still burn on and on and on and on We didn't start the fire That
0: was April Martell's cover of the Billy Joel song, We Didn't Start the Fire. Welcome back to Midtown Bookshelf on Midtown Radio, where we are celebrating National Indigenous Persons Day by featuring just a few of Canada's many talented Indigenous writers, illustrators, and musicians. Matt has brought a book for us that tells the story of a truly remarkable woman. Matt, tell us what book you brought today.
1: Thanks, Serena. Yes, the book I brought today tells the amazing story of Josephine Madaman, an Anishinaabeg Nokomis grandmother and Anishnabeg Nokomis from Wikwemekong First Nation on the unceded eastern shore of Manitoulin Island. Josephine is the founder of the Mother Earth Water Walkers, and she walked more than 40,000 kilometers. Let me repeat that, 40,000 kilometers, which to put in perspective is roughly this, the full circumference of our planet Earth, just to raise awareness about the protection of Nibe water. Now, I don't want to tell you too much more about her story because this book, The Water Walker by Joanne Robertson does a simply amazing job of detailing both Josephine's inspiration and her journeys. But I do want to note that in addition to her water walking, Josephine Madamen also served as the president of the Ontario Native Women's Association, the executive director of Been Again, an Ojibwe social services organization in Thunder Bay, and was a survivor of the St. Joseph's Residential School for Girls in Spanish Ontario. Truly an incredible and inspiring woman, Josephine's achievements are beautifully and passionately retold in this book by Joanne Robertson, herself an Anishinaabeg water activist. Robertson's colorful and vibrant illustrations add immensely to the story, with all of the walkers drawn without mouths, perhaps a representation of how these brave women are literally walking the walk. This is a perfect story to celebrate the achievements of an Indigenous woman on National Indigenous Peoples Day. This is The Water Walker, written and illustrated by Joanne Robertson. Nokomis loved Nibe, and Nibe loved Nokomis. Rain or shine, hot or cold, calm or wild. Every morning, like the woman in her family before her, Nokomis hopped out of bed, and before doing anything else, she sang, Gichi Miigwech, for the life you give, every little thing on earth. I love you, I respect you. But one day, a wise Ojima, a wise old chief, a wise old Ojima told her, in my lifetime, there will come a day when an ounce of water costs more than an ounce of gold what are you gonna do about it she looked around and saw how people were disrespecting the water wasting it and making it unfit for life day turned to night and nights turned to weeks and nokomis remembered the ojima's words a few moons went by and then one night nokomis had a bowajigan Nokomis had a dream. Nokomis had a bwajgan. Early next morning, Nokomis called her sister and her kwewak Nichis, her woman friends, her kwewak Nichis over for tea to talk about their responsibility to protect Nibe. Four days later, Nokomis and the Mother Earth Water Walkers, as they came to be known, found themselves standing on the side of the road wearing sneakers. Nokomis carried a copper pail full of Nibe in one hand and a Megisi staff, a bald eagle staff, a Megisi staff in the other. If no one noticed Nibe, maybe they would notice the water walkers. Maybe someone would ask why they carried Nibe in their copper pail. Maybe someone would be moved to protect Nibe too. Nokomis and the Mother Earth water walkers walked around all the great lakes and the St. Lawrence River. They walked every spring for seven years. They prayed and they sang to Nibe. They left Sema, sacred tobacco. They left Sema in every lake, river, stream, and puddle they met. They got up before the birds and went to bed when Nokomis Gizis, when the moon, when Nokomis Gizis rose. Nokomis was interviewed on television, in newspapers, and on radio. She was even in movies. But big companies, politicians, and even her next-door neighbors still did not feel the urgency to protect Nibe. What more can I do? wondered Nokomis. A year later, over by the Atlantic Ocean, Anichikwe had a bojgon, which she shared with Nokomis as soon as she woke up. Nokomis shared the watchgon with all the people she had met during her previous walks. Word spread fast across Turtle Island, and everyone began to prepare. Next thing you know, there were Kwaiwak women. There were Kwaiwak standing at each salt in the bay surrounding Turtle Island, with a copper pail in one hand, and a Magiisi staff in the other, all wearing sneakers. In the West, Nokomis and the Mother Earth Water Walkers set off from the Pacific Ocean, saying "Naga Jige Nibi Onji, I will do it for the water." Nibi Onji. One year after a devastating oil spill, Nokomis and the water walkers set off from the Gulf of Mexico, singing to Nibé and praying for healing for Nibé. Water, we love you, we thank you, we respect you. Next, Nokomis and the water walkers set off from the Atlantic Ocean in the east. At the send-off, they walked barefoot on the rocks and the beautiful petroglyphs, and they sang to Nibé, putting on their sneakers they started out on the migration trails on which their ancestors had traveled hundreds of years before. In the frigid north, the ice was five feet thick. Nokomis and the Mother Earth water walkers put Sema on the frozen Nibe, singing their thanks, their respect, and their love. Saltwater tears filled the water walkers' eyes, as the four Salt Nibay met in Lake Superior. One day, the four Salt Nibay will be reborn as clouds and carried home on the wind, said Nokomis. Nokomis went through three knees and 11 pairs of sneakers walking for Nibay. She got her knees replaced and is at home resting up, taking the time to surf online for new sneakers. Every morning, she puts down her Sema for Nibe and sings her gratitude. She prays that people will wake up and realize that without Nibe, there is no life. And she continues to wonder, what are you gonna do about it? And that's the end of our story. Now, I wanted to share a clip of Josephine Mandamin in her own words, describing the message of the water walkers and so here she is on the shore of Lake Superior talking about why she does these water walks.
4: In walking around the uh, five great lakes we learned something uh, about each of the lakes and um, where we're standing now is uh, Lake Superior and that's the first one that we walked. We found the majesty of that of that lake it is so powerful it is so strong so clean so pure that uh, when you first you first look at it and uh, you see the majesty of that water you want it to stay like that forever and ever and ever for the for the generations to come
1: josephine mandamin completed her final water walk in 2017 at the age of 75 but the walks and the work are being carried on by a new generation of water protectors so serena and allison reactions thoughts isn't this the most incredible story you've heard?
2: Yeah, I was a big fan of that. Wow. I I just think I have not really heard of this woman and, and her group of water walkers and they sound like such heroes and it's a shame that I haven't heard of them sooner. It's a really fantastic story.
0: Yeah, there were sort of two things going through my mind hearing about Josephine's uh, work here. I was thinking both about how amazing it is that she's doing this work for everyone in our community. Like here she is someone who probably, or no, we know that she has experienced so much hardship in her life, but here she is going out doing this work for all of us. And the other thing that I was realizing is how this really shows us a different way of working to protect our environment. It's some—it's a way that maybe I might have not been as familiar with, I think of things like you know protesting or writing letters, but this is a really important way to be out there making change as well.
1: Absolutely, I mean, there's just something very, very um, emotional and passionate and, and spiritual about the way that Josephine approached her environmental protection. And what I really loved about this book is the way that it includes those Anishinaabe words. And one other little fact that I wanted to share about Josephine is that she actually was so passionate about her own language that she actually went back to school, to university, and graduated at the age of 71 with a degree in her own language. That is a pretty remarkable achievement in and of itself, not to mention that she walked the equivalent of the entire circumference of the Earth to protect water. So obviously this book and Josephine Mandaman's story is incredibly inspirational. Ha- either Serena or Allison, have you seen this book in classes or in schools? Um, no. And also, if you haven't, what do you think could teachers do? What could they do with this book in order to carry on uh, Josephine's initiative?
2: So I actually follow um, a few teachers on Twitter. Uh, they teach at Victory Public School in Guelph. And I had actually seen kind of this ongoing project that they were doing with this book. I think it was last year or it might have been the year before. Um, I didn't look into all of it, but I recall seeing, you know, they they read the book and they learned about it. I think that they might have actually had Josephine come to their classroom um, but then they actually decided to go on a water walk of some sort in their neighborhood. And, uh, it was really amazing. So I was really happy to see that you chose it today, Matt.
0: Yeah, I, I was not familiar with this book. i um, not really familiar with the story either. So I'm really appreciative that this book is helping that story get out there. Um, I think if I was using it in a classroom, I'd probably be looking at kids who are sort of in older grades, like maybe grade five, six, seven, eight, um, and have this as a launching off point to maybe investigate more about this story, investigate why there is a need for water protection. Um, I think this would just be a really great story to kind of pique kids' interest and inform them about an issue that they might not have heard about before.
2: Mm-hmm. I agree.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I know that uh, I know the teacher who you're referring to, Allison, <laughs> and I think that she used this as a springboard for her entire year, and they did an entire year of activities all centered on the idea of water protection and um, and water walking and indigenous um, forms of activism.
0: Matt, did you bring in a song to go with this book?
1: I sure did. Well, I really wanted to keep with the theme of indigenous women and water. So I brought in a song by the celebrated Métis folk singer songwriter, Amanda Rayome. Amanda was born in Ottawa and she now lives in Toronto. And she has toured all over North America, including playing shows in the Arctic, and out first nation and her music has received multiple canadian folk music award nominations as well as a juno nomination for her 2013 album keep a fire this song is off her newest album the skin i'm in and it fits so perfectly with the book the water walker it is called return to the water
0: Return to the Water by Amanda Rayom. You're listening to Midtown Bookshelf on Midtown Radio, where we are celebrating National Indigenous Peoples Day, recognizing and celebrating the unique heritage, diverse cultures, and outstanding contributions of Indigenous peoples. Next, we have Allison who will be sharing a story with us. Tell us about your book, Allison.
2: Thanks, Serena. So today I have brought in a beautiful story that addresses the lasting legacy of the residential school system in Canada. Residential schools were a shameful part of Canada's past. They were created by the government of Canada and many church organizations in order to take Indigenous children away from their families and force their own culture and language out of them. The conditions were very poor, and the children who survived their time in residential school were often left with feelings of guilt and shame attached to their Indigenous background. Indigenous communities have been forced to work extremely hard to find ways to reclaim their languages and culture, which is why days like today, National Indigenous Persons Day, are so important. It's important to recognize and celebrate that First Nations, Métis, and Inuit culture have a place in Canada and should be integrated into our daily lives much more than they are now. So this book that I have chosen tells the story of a residential school survivor who is now a grandfather and, with the help of his granddaughter, is slowly working to reclaim his Cree heritage. The book is called Stolen Words, and is written by Cree Scottish author, Melanie Florence. Florence states that she spent a lot of time with her grandfather growing up, which inspired her to want to share stories of indigenous children, teens, and adults. She has written several fiction novels centered around First Nations teens living across Canada, and her first picture book, Stolen Words, which I'll be sharing today, was released in 2017 and it has won numerous awards and is in many school libraries now. I actually shared this book with a grade 2-3 class I was teaching a few years ago. We read it on Orange Shirt Day in September, which is a day to recognize residential school survivors in Canada, and the students took really well to the story. They had a lot of empathy for the grandfather's story and were really interested to learn about what he had gone through. So I encourage anyone with school-aged children to consider sharing this story with their kids at some point, and if you haven't already, using it as an opportunity to get your kids interested and excited in another part of Canada's diversity. So this is Stolen Words by Melanie Florence, illustrated by Gabrielle Grimard. So the first page we see a little girl. She came home from school today, skipping and dancing, humming a song under her breath, clutching a dream-catcher she had made from odds and ends, bits of string, plastic beads, and brightly colored feathers. Her glossy braids danced against her shoulders, swaying with her, black as a raven's wing. Grandpa, she asked, spinning under his arm before dropping it again. How do you say grandfather in Cree? He stopped breathing for a moment, a lifetime to a seven-year-old. He looked down at her sadly. I don't remember, he answered. I lost my words a long time ago. A frown clouded her face. How do you lose words, Grandpa? she asked. They took them away, he answered she thought for a moment. Where did they take them? She asked. Where they took all of us, he said. Away from home. Away from laughter and soft words. Away from our mothers who cried for us. She reached for his gnarled hand. Who took you away, Grandpa? She asked quietly. Men and women, dressed in black talking to us with words we did not know, he answered. They reached home and sat on the stairs together. Where did they take you, Grandpa? she asked. Away to a school that was cold and lonely, where angry white faces raised their voices and their hands when we used our words, he answered. They took our words and locked them away, punished us until we forgot them, until we sounded like them. And this is one of my favorite pictures of the book and one that really resonated with my students when I read it. Um, We see all of the children, the picture is now black and white, and there's a teacher that is holding a bird cage and we see black streaks of color coming out of the children's mouths and going into this bird cage, like he's summoning all their voices and locking them away. Harsh, sharp words, so different from the sound of our beautiful ones. She touched his weathered face, tried to wipe the sadness away with her soft hands. She looked down at her lap and handed him the dream catcher that she had made for her room. You take this, Grandpa, she said. Maybe it will help you find your words again. He smiled at her. His granddaughter "'and touched her innocent face, "'a face that had never known hard words "'or raised hands. "'He smiled and kissed her head. "'The next day, she skipped out of school again, "'smiling wisely at her grandfather. "'She stopped in front of him "'and took a deep breath. Tanse se, Nimosam,' she said. "'His eyes widened. "'She smiled brighter than the sun.' I found your words, Grandpa, she said. She pulled a tattered, well-worn paperback out of her book bag. Introduction to Cree, it said. My teacher helped me find this for you at the library. He reached for it, his hands shaking. Opened it, feeling the soft, much-loved pages under his fingers. No see seam, he whispered. Granddaughter. The word felt familiar in his mouth. It felt like his home. His mother. He turned the pages of the book carefully. Mousina Egin Book. He turned another. Word after word. Pikisquewen. His words. Pages and pages of them. He looked at his granddaughter. His nosisim. Thank you. Tainkey, he said. Will you read to me? She asked, taking his hand in hers and leading him home. Will you teach me your words? His heart danced as he nodded, holding the book against his chest. The end. And we see them walking down the street, just a silhouette at the end. So that is stolen words. Matt and Serena, what did you think?
1: Wow. I mean, honestly, I'm I'm feeling pretty emotional after hearing that. It's just impossible for us to know for anyone who, who hasn't experienced something like that to know what it would feel like to have, you know, your own language and the own the way that you see the world and understand the world taken from you. I mean, that's just such a heartbreaking thing, and I mean, really emotionally portrayed by the author in that story.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. The line that kept sticking out to me was that repetition of knowing raised voices and raised hands. I think that's such a powerful statement that kind of introduces that idea of intergenerational trauma. When Mm -hmm. you think about how, how do you know how to parent, how do you know how to have relationships with other people, when all you've known is raised voices and raised hands. And then to have the author make that statement about the granddaughter and saying that she had never known those things. And yeah, it just it really was very emotional. So I, I think the author did an amazing job of communicating some really big ideas in a way that opens the door for conversation and is accessible to all different ages.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I found that when I did read this to my students, they were really, really captivated by the characters. And, you know, I was pretty careful in, in trying to explain, you know, a, a kind of a, a brief overview of residential schools without Uh, being too graphic to you know seven and eight year olds but also really trying to share the information in a way that they could kind of relate to and get some real meaning from it and they were really captivated by this story as
1: well. Yeah Allison there was one line that stuck out to me which was um, that right in the beginning section where um, she asks how to say grandfather in Cree. And then the line is, he looked down at her sadly, and I don't remember. And you can just see this this very visceral image in your mind of just, you know, just a sadness and a longing at the sense of lost identity. You know, someone who obviously had, really has so much pride for that identity, that indigenous identity, and then just to have that ripped from him to the point where he can't even understand the language it's just it's just heartbreaking
2: Mm -hmm. yeah thankfully we're seeing you know nowadays a lot of indigenous people working really hard to reclaim their culture reclaim their languages um one of the things i actually wanted to share was a twitter page that i follow um it's a man named angus anderson And he runs something called Inuk Word of the Day. And it's just a really fantastic page. Um, Every single day he shares uh, a little video of him saying a word and explaining the meaning behind it. And it's just a great way for people to learn the language and embrace it and be excited about. I think it's so wonderful that all these initiatives are happening. It's certainly not right that this had to happen in the first place, but you know their languages and their cultures are just as important in Canada. And, and I think that it's our job to help support them through this as well.
0: Wonderful. And Alison, did you have a song that you brought in today?
2: Yeah, so today I've brought in a song by a group from Nunavut, the Jerry Cans, and one of their missions as a band is to honor their home communities, including singing many of their songs in their Inuktitut language and including some Inuit throat singing in many of their tracks. I was lucky enough to see them live at Hillside Music Festival a few years ago. And throughout their performance, they would teach you some of the lyrics in Inuktitut so you could sing along. And at the end of the show, I remember the lead singer sharing that it was so important to share these words and pass their language on to others. So this is a song from their newest album they just released in May. You'll hear a mixture of English and Inuktitut in this powerful song. Here is Kauma Yuyusi by The Jerry Cans. Ka'uma Uyusi by the Jerry Cans. Welcome back to Midtown Bookshelf on Midtown Radio. Serena is going to be rounding out our celebration of National Indigenous Peoples Day with a short and sweet story. Tell us about this book, Serena.
0: Thanks, Allison. Yes, my story is called We Sang You Home by Richard Van Camp, a proud member of the Tulicho or Dog Rib Nation from Fort Smith, Northwest Territories. And it's illustrated by Julie Flett, a Cree Métis author and illustrator. I recently went online to purchase some board books for my daughter, who is now in that stage of development where anything nearby, including books, go right into her mouth. So board books were definitely necessary. In my search, I came across this book, which is incredibly popular and for a good reason. It captures so many of the feelings that I have when I hold my daughter close, and it puts into words the sentiments that I want to express to her. I invite you to think about a loved little one in your life as I share this story with you. This is We Sang You Home. We sang you from a wish. We sang you from a prayer. We sang you home and you sang back. We give you kisses to help you grow and songs to let you know that you are loved. As we give you roots, you give us wings. And through you, we are born again. Our everyday miracle, our everyday smile. Our forever home is inside of you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you for becoming the best of all of us. We sang you home. Thank you for singing back. Welcome to the world we love you and that's it that is the story do you have any initial reactions
2: that is so beautiful i was honestly i was picturing you reading it to your daughter and just imagining that that sweet bond that happens when you're reading a really special story that's that's one that i'm sure you'll come back to a lot over the years that's a really beautiful story serena
1: yeah, you can just feel the love in those words. It's just like every single word has been picked out specifically for whoever the author's writing about. But it's so universal that mm-hmm. they're—I mean, the language of love, right? I mean, it can be applied to anybody. And if you if you write something with love, then anyone can can appreciate and share in that.
0: Exactly. Yeah, and I mean, he's able to capture something that, as you say, is the language of love that all these parents who love their children so much want to say, but don't always have the words to say it. So it just gives you this amazing kind of script for for sharing those feelings that you have. Um, one thing that was really neat about uh, Richard Van Camp's work is he has several um, books, sort of like lullaby books for, for new babies. And uh, in BC, where he lives or where he has studied in the past, um, they gave out a copy of his book to all of the new babies born in the province that year. So oh, yeah, that's I, amazing. I love that's so that sweet. idea. I love the idea of all of these hundreds of parents across the province all saying these sweet words to their babies.
1: Oh, that's so meaningful too, right? Because when the babies grow up, then they're going to have you know this beautiful book that they can share with their next generation as well. Because I know that I still have some of the stuff that people had given my parents to me when I was born and I still cherish that stuff. So it's really nice to have a beautiful book like that that can be passed on to the next generation.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, as I shared, I came across this book because I was shopping for some board books. I have an absolutely huge collection of picture books, all of sort of varying qualities. Um, and I've accumulated these picture books through so many sources from gifts and hand-me-downs and garage sales and uh, those books that they, they're clearing out of the library and they sell for 25 cents. Um, I even have some of my own books from childhood, same as you, Matt. And uh, I actually don't have very many board books though. So I felt like I was sort of starting this correct collection from scratch. And it's exciting because when I'm starting this new collection, I get to be so much more intentional about building up my library of board books and really think about the messages that I want to be sharing with my child regularly. But it's also a little intimidating because I want to make sure that I'm choosing great books and I want to be putting my money to good use. So I was wondering if you two could reflect on your own personal libraries of children's books and if you have any advice for read uh, listeners at home who are maybe just starting to build up their own home library.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean we have large selection of picture books, uh, only a few board books at our place. Um, but for me, there's a couple things a couple criteria that I look for when it comes to, to buying picture books or buying board books or really buying any books, but I mean, especially picture books because they can be so intensely personal. Personal With the images, there's you can interact with them on a different level than you can with a novel. So for me, I mean, I always look for something that grabs my attention. And usually that is the credit to the illustrators who, um, who are able to present the story in a way that feels really meaningful. And then the other part of it is that I want to make sure that my library, like you said, is representative of a diversity of voices, a diversity of opinions, and also that um, are stories that are really meaningful. I mean, not just to me, but about subjects that I'm really interested in. And I think that especially when you're talking about creating a library as a teacher, a library for your classroom, it's so important to be intentional about the books that you bring in because you want your students to be reading stories that are important and reading stories that are uh, and, and having discussions that are critical and that will shape the way that they view the world. So it's so important to be intentional about the books that we bring in because the words that we share as teachers or as parents are the words that they're going to be sharing. And, and, and those are the words that are going to be shaping the way that they understand this, the, the, the whole world. So it's incredibly important to be intentional. And I'm glad to hear, Serena, that you are being so intentional about that. That's awesome. Well, it's, I it's, envy absolutely.
0: you. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun. But, you know, what really made me realize that I needed to be thoughtful and start seeking out some really good quality board books was that I have, you know, maybe six of them here at home. And I have literally memorized these books. I could recite for you these books. And they're just, you know, they're they're fine, but they're kind of inane, like just little rep, repetitive um, things that they're not really instilling any sort of educational or moral value. So I thought, okay, I need to make a change here because if I'm going to be memorizing these things, then they should be powerful words that imprint something positive.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's important that, you know, it's great to have those classics, but I also, so, also think that it's great to get some books in your personal library that are going to kind of expand, um, expand your child's mind a little bit, you know, just push their thinking a little bit more, you know, not always showing them books of children that look like them, not always showing them books that have children with Um, you know standard traditional English names you know it's it's really great when a child can try to pronounce a new name for the first time or they're exposed to a different part of the country or a different part of the world I think it's really important um that kids are reading about characters that are different from them or that have different perspectives, and usually that means looking at authors that come from a variety of different backgrounds, you know, choosing um, authors that come from all different cultures, different countries, um, because they are going to have their own perspectives that they bring to writing, and um, those stories are going to be just a really great variety for your children or
1: students. I might also add, though, that it's equally important for parents and teachers to be critical of their existing libraries, because so often when we create our libraries, like you said, Allison, we do gravitate towards the books that we're familiar with or the books that are classics. And that means that we might be missing out on whole perspectives or whole narratives or whole stories that were not prevalent to us when we were growing up Um, and I mean, look at this and we're talking about indigenous issues. When we were growing up, that was not very part of the mainstream curriculum or not part of the mainstream narratives that we were hearing. So you have a whole generation of students who grew up without those stories. And as teachers now, it's really, really important that we make sure we're critical of our libraries and of the books we're bringing to our class to ensure that those narratives are brought in and we're not just defaulting to the same old stories that were read to us when we were growing up.
2: Yeah, a neat thing to do, if you kind of love those classic stories, is to actually take a little bit of time to look into if there are different versions of the same story. Um, Back this year, I was supply teaching for a class and I actually read a version of Cinderella that was based in the Caribbean. And it was so cool because the children loved the story of Cinderella, but they got to see it in a different country, different languages, different parts of the of the Caribbean culture that were coming out. It was really special. So that's a really neat thing you can do.
0: Yeah, with this discussion of um incorporating different viewpoints into your picture book collection, I'm reminded of Allison's book from last week, where she read The Day You Begin by Jacqueline Woodson. And I think we talked in that book about how, you know, we can have a lot of blind spots in our understanding of the world. And we can't be aware of those until we've been exposed to new points of view. So as adults, and for the children in our lives, these, these uh, diverse points of view are going to be really beneficial.
1: In addition, uh, picture books offer such a great way to bring in authentic voices into the classroom. It's such, I mean, sometimes teachers or parents uh, can be afraid of bringing in, um, you know, reaching out to somebody from a community that you're unfamiliar with or, or, you know, can be concerned about how big of a hassle it might be to have to send those emails and have those correspondences. I definitely think you should do that. 100% go for it. But also, if you're in a pinch and you want to bring in an authentic voice, grab a picture book because those people are telling their story through words and pictures. And that's a great way to expose your students or your kids to authentic indigenous voices or authentic voices from different perspectives.
0: Well, after our discussions about language following Allison's book, uh, I think you guys are gonna be really interested to hear my song today, which incorporates some Cree language. In honor of this beautiful bedtime story that I've shared, I selected a song that will have you feeling relaxed, maybe even a little sleepy, because this is one of nine original lullabies on the album Dream Big Little One. This comes from Winnipeg-based indigenous duo Jason Burnstick and Nadia Godet. And these songs feature lyrics in English, French, and Cree. This is the song Star to Star. From
5: star to star it breaks, I hold on tight from star to star and through
0: To star from Jason Bernstick and Nadia Godette. Welcome back to Midtown Bookshelf on Midtown Radio, where we are wrapping up a fantastic episode of content from First Nations, Metis, and Inuit authors, illustrators, and musicians in celebration of National Indigenous Peoples Day. You heard Matt Rappolt share
1: The Water Walker, written and illustrated by Joanne Robertson.
0: You heard Allison Died Jack Reed.
2: Stolen Words by Melanie Florence, illustrated by Gabrielle Grimard.
0: And I read We Sang You Home, written by Richard Van Camp and illustrated by Julie Flett. Next week, we will cap off season one of Midtown Bookshelf with an episode that reviews some of our best moments from the last 17 episodes. See you next time. Until then, keep reading.